Over the next couple of months, we're going to be visiting various stories and passages throughout the Bible and um, some selected passages. And <clears throat> the reason for jumping around uh, these next couple months is pretty simple. I, I, I want to be able to leave you with some things that I think are really key for understanding and entering and living in God's kingdom. And this morning, I'm going to read from this passage, Luke chapter 5, that's in your worship folder on pages 12 and 13. Um, And in these verses, we actually get the account of three different miracles of Jesus, um, three different stories. But I think together, they combine um, to tell us what it's like to deal with Jesus' presence in all of his complexity and who he is as a person. Um, so let's read God's Word. Um, I'll read. You can follow along by reading in your, uh, your program, but this is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 26. <clears throat> Listen to God's holy and inerrant Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon asked, answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, Rise. Pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help. Almighty Father, we pray that you would indeed pour out your Spirit in order that we, your people, would hear your word, that we would hear your voice. And we pray that you would give us confidence this morning in the hearing of it, uh, because we are reminded by your prophets that When you speak, when you open your mouth to speak, your words do not return to you empty, but they accomplish the purposes for which you set them forth. Indeed, we're reminded on the very first pages of Scripture that when you open your mouth to speak, you call things into being which were not. By the power of your voice, you called everything into being, and by the power of the voice of your own Son, when He walked this earth, He spoke, and by the power of His voice, the blind were made to see, the lame were made to walk, the deaf were made to hear, and even the dead came out of their tombs. And so, Father, we pray that we would hear Your voice with that power this morning. Wake us up, heal us, give us sight, even raise us from the dead. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Before our family moved to Memphis, uh, a number of you know that we spent a number of years in campus ministry at two different universities, and regularly we would have students into our home for different things, and like many people, we had pictures of our family up all over our house, and one that we had, one picture that we had in our living room was a picture of Jennifer and me on our wedding day. And there we were, Jennifer was looking beautiful in her wedding dress, and I think I could say I was looking pretty sharp in my tux. Um, And we were cutting our wedding cake together, and it was just a cute picture, right, of a memorable day. And Uh, One night, we had a bunch of students over, and I'll never forget what this one young college girl said, um, because it really hurt. Um, And I I don't know if it slipped out accidentally or or what, but she just blurted out when she saw that picture of us. She said, wow, Nathan, you've gained a lot of weight. Um, And, you know... I don't know what I said or what I should have said, you know, Um, thank you, uh, and please get out of my house. Um, But here's what was very obviously happening 
for her in that moment, right? She saw this image of me from several years ago when I was in pretty decent shape. Um, and then she had this other image of me, this, the present me, standing in front of her. And the two images came together and they combined and they, they told her a, a story um, that was a bit more complex, right, than just looking at a single image. Um, it gave her a more complex understanding of me um, and more depth. So, so now she saw someone before her was, who was obviously lazy and lacked self-control and uh, was getting old. And so, uh, so we moved to Memphis. Um, we, uh, <coughs> um, so anyway, um, but the point of telling you that story um, is, is really this, that when it comes to dealing with Jesus, with the presence of Jesus, we often find ourselves wanting to pick and choose which parts of Jesus we'll believe in. Um, we say to ourselves, well, I really like this image of Jesus, um, but not so much that other image of Jesus. And this story of Jesus makes me feel good, but this one doesn't make me feel so good, and so I'd just rather not think about that. And the problem with that, of course, is that there's a real Jesus, and He's a person. And you can't just pick and choose which parts of Him you'll believe in um, and, uh, and what you like. You have to deal with the real presence of Jesus in all His complexity and His depth. And see, together, I think, these three miracles that we have, they give us a picture of His complexity and the depth of His character. And um, this is a big section of verses, so just keep in mind we're not going to be able to get to every detail, but I do want you to see three pictures or images that tell the story. So first, I want us to see the frightening presence of Jesus. And then second, I want us to see the compassionate presence of Jesus. And then finally, I want us to understand the puzzling presence of Jesus. The frightening presence of Jesus, the compassionate presence of Jesus, and the puzzling presence of Jesus. So first, the frightening presence of Jesus. In this miraculous, this first miraculous story that we have in Luke chapter 5, when the the story of the disciples who caught all these fish, in that story, Jesus pulled back the veil, as it were, just a little bit so that they could get a glimpse of his identity. And when the disciples caught a glimpse of his identity and who he really was, especially Simon Peter, they were afraid. Jesus had been preaching, and the crowds had gathered, and they had become so large that he had to get out on a boat to do his teaching. And the bo- obviously, the boats weren't being used by the fishermen at that time because they had already come in from an unsuccessful night of fishing. And then Jesus, who was not a professional fisherman by trade, but a carpenter, told them to go back out and put down their nets for a catch. And and you can even hear their frustration, I think, in verse 5. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Right? You, You can hear it. Like, who are you to tell us to go out fishing again? But then you get Simon Peter playing along with Jesus. And he says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And of course, when they did, they caught so many fish, their nets were breaking and their boats started to sink. Now listen, 
maybe you, you've done some recreational fishing on your own, uh, bass fishing or, or whatever you do, but these were professional fishermen. This was their job. And you know what that means? That means ka-ching. <laughs> they just made a ton of money when they caught all that fish. It was their most successful, most profitable day that they had ever had on the job. And because of that, you might guess that these guys were thinking, wow, this Jesus is really helpful, right? He could be very useful in me getting certain goals in my life. Um, He just turned a horrible day on the job into the best day I've ever had on the job. But instead of that, we read this response to Jesus unveiling his identity in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, when Peter and the other disciples realized who was present with them, they were frightened, and they were terrified, and they were afraid. They wanted Jesus to leave. They wanted him to go away. They wanted him to stop scaring them and disturbing them and troubling them with his presence. And Peter tells us why. For I am a sinful man. To be in the presence of this Jesus is frightening. Because to be in his presence is to become acutely aware of how unfit we are to be in his presence. And listen, this isn't unusual at all in the Bible. This happens throughout the Bible when people get near God's holy presence. If you happen to be here last week, we talked about this at length. We saw the same thing when Isaiah got a vision of God's holiness. He was was terrified, and he saw himself as a dead man walking. And here's what I want you to think about this week as we think about a very similar idea. I want you to consider how this view of Jesus really collides with our culture and really even what we think about the church very very often. I mean, we typically demand that life and maybe even especially the church make us feel good about ourselves. And as soon as it doesn't, we want out. We want to avoid it. Depart from me. I'm trying in this moment to make your expectations realistic for what it means to come into Jesus' presence. You see, to get close to the real Jesus is to be confronted with his frightening presence. It's to begin to feel foolish in the light of his wisdom. It's to begin to feel ugly next to his matchless beauty. It's to feel flawed in the presence of his perfect holiness. It's to become keenly aware of our self-centeredness and our twistedness and our brokenness when we get close to his perfect other-centered love. And here's what I'm saying. If you run from this Jesus and you avoid this Jesus, you'll fail to realize that this is part of what it means to get near God. And only if you embrace it will your life be changed. Look at verse 11 
It says, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Best payday on the job, right? Best payday on the, on the job, and immediately they quit their jobs and left all that money there for someone else. Why? Because they realized in that moment, you cannot play with this Jesus. You cannot toy with him. You can't pretend that he came to be useful in order for you to reach your goals or have your agendas met. To come into his frightening presence is to realize that he is the rightful king, clothed in terrifying beauty and frightening holiness and soul-shaking wisdom, and he demands our total submission. Listen, there's another story in the Gospels um, it shows up actually in Luke, in Luke chapter 8, uh, which involves these fishermen once more in a boat and at sea. And many of you know that story, the story that I'm about to tell you. They, they were caught in a terrible storm, and they all thought they were going to die. And it had, you just got to think, it had to have been a horrific storm. These men made their living at sea. They knew how to deal with weather on the sea, but they were all terrified that they were about to lose their lives. It had to have been horrific. But in that story, Jesus stood up and he rebuked the storm. And immediately the wind stopped. And the pounding of the waves against the boat ceased. And everything became calm. And here's what that story says in Luke chapter 8, verse 25. After everything went calm. And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Luke is saying, They were afraid in the storm, but they were terrified to find out who was in the boat with them. They were afraid in the storm for their lives, but their souls were shaking with fear in the presence of the one who commands the wind and the rains and the water. I'm not saying in this point, A little fear will do you good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to say with Luke, a little reality will do you good. To come into the presence of the real Jesus is to come into his frightening presence. He won't be trifled with. He holds the seas in the hollow of his hand and weighs the mountains on a balance. He hasn't come to be useful to you. He's come to reign as your king. Have you met that Jesus? Have you dealt with that Jesus? This is the real Jesus, a Jesus with some depth and complexity. All right, second, let's keep going. Second, the real Jesus presence isn't just frightening, but it's also compassionate, the compassionate presence of Jesus. Now think with me about the final miracle in this story of Jesus healing the paralytic. You think about that, Luke wrote in verse 17, that Jesus was teaching and everyone was coming to listen to him. They were crowding to him and they were cramming into this house to hear him teach. And you can imagine being there. I mean, just imagine it. You're there listening to Jesus and then you hear footsteps on the roof. And then a little dust starts to fall into the room. And before long, as you're trying to pay attention to Jesus, clumps of earth start to fall from the roof, and then you see a hand poke through. And a hole big enough to, to lower a man down the roof is ripped apart from that house. Um, 
Now, let me just say, that might be a little distracting. Um, you know, I, I think we can imagine that if we were there, this was probably the best sermon that any of these people had ever heard. God Himself was speaking to them. And you know, I've done this thing long enough to where I can deal with some crying babies and people falling asleep, not to make anybody feel bad. But that can be distracting. I, I don't know what I would do if tiles and drywall started falling into this room. Now listen, God Himself was preaching the best sermon they ever heard, and it seems really, really important to me that Jesus didn't say, you totally ruined my third point. Um, How dare you interrupt me? Didn't you realize what I was saying is a big deal? Um, He didn't say any of that. Instead, Jesus saw that broken paralytic, and that paralytic got Jesus' undivided attention in that moment. And we're going to come back to the dialogue in just a minute, but Jesus spoke to that paralytic in verse 24, and he said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what I want you to understand right now is Jesus wasn't angry with him for interrupting him. Jesus compassionately stopped what he was doing and met that man's needs and moved towards his brokenness to heal him. Okay, and then now think with me about the middle story in our passage, the story of this leper. Leprosy during Jesus' day, um, it it covered a variety of skin diseases and disorders. And this man, Luke told us, was full of leprosy, verse 12. I mean, head to toe, covered with sores and boils. And the law was very clear on this point. This is Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp or the city. The hair and the clothes were to be intentionally messed up so that everyone could see from a distance that something was wrong with you and would know to stay away from you. If someone accidentally turned a corner and got close to you, the leper was supposed to scream out, unclean, unclean, and watch people scream and run in horror. You were kicked out of society. Leave your wife your children, your friends, and live in isolation. You weren't allowed to worship God anymore at the temple. And here's what I'm saying. That's real loneliness. That's real isolation. That's real hopelessness. Physical, emotional, social, spiritual isolation. and psychological. Imagine having to scream your uncleanness at people. A lot, a lot going on here, I know, but I want you to notice in verse 12 that Jesus, he was in one of those cities that a leper was not supposed to be in. He was supposed to be outside of the city. It was off limits to him. I mean, this was desperation because if he comes into the city and Jesus does not heal him, and I mean on the spot, 
he's a dead man because they're going to stone him to death. So, so yes, it was compassionate when Jesus responded to this man's plea to make him clean and healed him. But I want you, you've got to go one step further here in this story. We just saw that in the case of the paralytic, that Jesus doesn't need to touch anyone to heal them. He simply spoke and the paralytic was healed. But verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched this leper saying, I will be clean. He didn't need to touch him. Why did he touch him? Because he was being so full of compassion to him. I mean, you think about it, it had been months, maybe years since this leper had felt the warmth of human contact. Jesus was bringing this man completely out of his isolation. He let the man approach him. He spoke to him. He touched him. He sent him back to the temple to verify his cleansing. The author Kent Hughes once wrote about a man that he spent time counseling And this is what he wrote. He wrote, I once counseled a lonely man who was not a Christian. He had no family that cared. He belonged to no church. In describing his loneliness, he said that he had his hair cut once a week just to have someone touch him with no misunderstanding. The human need for physical touch for others. You know, it's pretty well documented that in infant orphanages around the world, the mortality and development of infant children can be threatened just by the lack of human contact. One author writes about this, but how could simply being in an orphanage kill a baby? And the author answers his own question. Basically, they die from lack of love. When an infant falls below the threshold of physical affection, of the threshold of physical affection needed to stimulate the production of growth hormone and the immune system, his body starts shutting down. That's how important touch is. Human contact. What must, just imagine, what must the touch of Jesus' hand have felt like to this leper? I mean, it's amazing just to think about the end of isolation. You, know, you may not have leprosy this morning. I hope you don't. But there are parts of you that you are terrified others might see. The shame that if someone really saw or really knew that about you and what your heart was really like, The fear and the shame is that they would scream at you, unclean, unclean, and run screaming to get away from you. And we've all got stuff like that beneath the surface in our lives. And what every single one of us needs is the compassionate presence of Jesus. We need to see that he doesn't have to touch this man, but he does. We need to see how he moves towards the ugly, isolating brokenness in our lives to bring full restoration. We need to know that we can interrupt him with our brokenness, and he'll never send us away. 
All of this means that no matter what you've done or how dirty you think you are, or how soiled and tainted and defiled you feel, no matter what your record is in this life, if you come to Jesus, you will find His compassion. He can touch you and make you clean. All right, finally, let's deal with the puzzling presence of Jesus. Look, the paralytic's friends went through all this trouble to get their friend to Jesus, and they lowered him through this roof. And what's the first thing Jesus said to him? Man, your sins are forgiven. And can you imagine these friends of this paralytic going, um, excuse me, Jesus, um, I think you misread the situation here. Um, the problem is he can't walk. We just low, Remember the roof thing we just did? I'm willing to bet that more than a few of you have often been puzzled by Jesus like this in your life. Jesus, my career is going down the tubes. Help. We are in such financial trouble. Jesus, come and fix this. I'm sick. I'm struggling with my kids. Jesus, fix that. I'm struggling with my spouse. Fix this. Help me. These circumstances in my life, I'm lonely, I'm hurt, I'm anxious, and I'm crying out for help to Jesus. But you seem to not notice the terrible situations or circumstances in my life, right? I can't move my legs. That's my problem. Why is he so puzzling like this? See, I think this story is showing us how Jesus sees right past this man's circumstances to his deeper brokenness. It's actually a very important point here. The word is getting out. Jesus has the power to heal. And the crowds are gathering and they're all saying, Jesus, fix this. Fix that, Jesus. And in this move, Jesus is showing us that he didn't just come to fix the brokenness we know we have. He also came to heal the deeper brokenness we don't know we have in our lives. The root of all our brokenness, our sin. And I hope you get why the Pharisees were upset and they were murmuring about Jesus' blasphemy in verse 21. When Jesus looked at this man lying on this mat and told him that his sins were forgiven, he was saying in effect to this man, you know all the sins in your life, all the lust." all the greed, all the idolatry, all the anger, all the self-centeredness, Jesus was saying to this man, all of those things you did against me. I am your maker. I am your God. And I forgive you. He went after that deeper brokenness in his life. I know, I apologize for this because I know it's dizzying to move back and forth between these stories, but just one more time, think with me about the leper in, that we talked about in the middle of this passage. Jesus healed the leper, of course, but Jesus didn't just heal him. The passage says Jesus made him clean. Why was it so important for lepers to stay away from everyone, to be outside of the city, and to shout at people, unclean, unclean? I think the answer is pretty obvious. It's because leprosy was contagious. And if the sick 
and defiled and unclean came into contact with something that was clean, the clean thing was going to become unclean and sick and defiled. We have four kids. I love them dearly, but they are so messy. Um, And we learned pretty early on with our kids about how dirty things can make clean things unclean, right? Sandboxes, uh, chocolate pudding, cherry limeades from Sonic, a big favorite. When chocolate pudding falls on the clean carpet or when a cherry limeade is spilled on someone's shirt or when sand is tracked into a clean house, if I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times, the thing that's unclean always makes the clean thing unclean. Everyone knows that. But for the first time in history, on this day, clean met unclean, and the unclean became clean. Jesus told the leper, go and do the offerings and give proof at the temple that you're clean. But do you notice this in the passage? Jesus didn't go and do any washings. Because Jesus was saying, I am cleanliness itself, and whatever comes in contact with me always gets clean. Your scarlet sins will become white as snow, as we sang earlier, when they meet Jesus. Your filthy rags will be exchanged for robes of righteousness when you come into contact with Jesus. Now, how is that possible? But you notice this as we end. The leper came into the city to meet Jesus. But after Jesus cleansed the leper, the story tells us that Jesus went outside the city to the desolate places. In other words, what this story is telling us is that Jesus and the leper changed places. Jesus asked the Pharisees in verse 23, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Which is easier, to forgive this man or to heal this man's legs? And Jesus was hinting at something. He was saying, it's going to be far more difficult for me to forgive your sins. We're going to have to change places. He's saying to this paralytic, you're immobilized on that mat But one day soon, I'm going to be immobilized on a cross for you. I will give my life for you. And what held the King of Kings on that cross? Surely it wasn't nails. It was his love for his people. Listen, frightened by Jesus' presence, aware of his divinity, the disciples clearly saw it's foolish to imagine that Jesus came to be a help to me getting my goals in this life, right? It's total foolishness, but every bit of my life is meant to revolve around Him and His purposes. And so they walked away from all their prophets. They left them for someone else to have, and they followed Jesus. But soon after, they found that not only was Jesus' presence frightening, but He was also full of compassion And even when he puzzled them, he always meant it for their good. You know, there are so many applications, as I was thinking about this, that we could end with um, that would all be good for us. 
being engaged in Jesus' purposes and fishing for men. It's in this story. Moving out to the fringes of society towards the broken to meet them where they are. Caring about real spiritual brokenness in people's lives, but not at the expense of not caring about their other needs that they have in their lives. But here's the big question I want to ask you as we end, and it's just this. Have you met the real Jesus? I mean, do you know what it is to be frightened by Him and to be aware that He is none other than God in the flesh? Do you know what it is to work through being puzzled by Jesus in your life? And do you know that He's full of compassion for you? In his book, The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien wrote, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. This passage is bidding you Come to Jesus. Come into the hands of the rightful king. His hands are the hands of a healer. And he can and he will make you clean. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you speak. We thank you that you are not silent. We thank you that each page of your word draws us to look upon Jesus, to see him, our Savior, who went outside the city and was crucified there because he came to change places with us in order to make us clean. Father, we pray that this good news of the gospel would change us, that it would set us free to be fishers of men, that it would move us out to the fringes of society to meet the broken, that it would cause us to care about real spiritual brokenness. Father, we pray that you would allow us to meet the real Jesus in all his complexity and in all his depth in order that we might be changed by your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.